This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Behind Enemy Lines. I'm your host, Alejandro Suniga from the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com. Turning our attention this week to the Rutgers Scarlet Knights as Michigan football finally begin, begins its Big Ten schedule and quite honestly finally faces an opponent that there's interesting pieces to talk about and potentially a more competitive game coming up this weekend. Excited to have a guest with me as always. Uh, and this week we've got Bobby Darren. Uh, he is the publisher of Scarlet Nation, uh, our affiliate over on 24-7 Sports. Bobby's joining me here to talk about this noon kickoff on the Big Ten Network, Michigan and Rutgers, two undefeated teams. And Rutgers, honestly, has, has put together a really impressive start to the 2023 season. Uh, not only are they 3-0, and but those wins are over a couple Power 5 teams in Northwestern, Virginia Tech, and also Temple. Uh, and comfortable-looking wins, too. Not, not ones that were particularly close at the end of, of the game. Then again, Rutgers was 3-0 and through non-conference play last year and then began Big Ten play and finished 4-8. and Certainly, the games they've played and the way they've won the games this year maybe have raised expectations a bit. But Bobby, take me through what the first three weeks of the season have been and is there the hope that maybe 4-8 and isn't on the table this year for Rutgers? Yeah, there's a lot more hope because of the, you spoke about it, the way they won it. Um, it was much more convincing. They played better opponents. Now, those Virginia Tech's not what Virginia Tech used to be. But, you know, going into those games, Rutgers handled them, did things that they were supposed to do, score when they were supposed to score. When other teams threatened to come back, you know, they, they kind of put their foot on their necks. And those are things that didn't happen in the past. And, and you're starting to see this rebuild uh, start to take shape, but it still is a rebuild. Greg Shiano took over a program that, you know, was really down. There was really a, a dearth of talent. Um, so, you know, it, it was baby steps. And, and you're starting to see them then move forward a little bit. And, and it's a uh, it's much more promising. There are There is more excitement. Um, you know, everybody's kind of realistic uh, fan-wise when, when you're playing Michigan, but there, there's hope for the first time that it's not going to be, you know, a, a lopsided disaster. Now, Rutgers has honestly played Michigan pretty close over the last few years, and that's something that that Jim Harbaugh talked about this week, that players have talked about this week. You know, in 2020, of course, that was a very disappointing season for the Michigan football program, but that game, you know, that was the Cade McNamara origin story at Michigan and a big comeback and a game that was close uh, into overtime, of course. Uh, in, in 21, that game... Michigan took a, a, an early lead, but Rutgers stayed close, and that was a one-touchdown game at the end. And last year, while the score, uh, of course, is a blowout in Michigan's favor uh, over in Piscataway, that game was was close at halftime. In fact, Rutgers may have been winning at halftime, if I remember that correctly. Yeah. Uh, and it's so so it's a, and it's a step up for Michigan in, in competition, right? Michigan and fans who are listening well know that the non-conference schedule has not been 
the the strongest that Michigan has, has played two years in a row now. Uh, so so let's turn our attention to Rutgers uh, and starting with the most important position on the field for for either team uh, is at the quarterback position. Uh, Rutgers, Michigan saw Gavin Wimsett last year and that he's kind of officially the starter and starting for the season this year after he took over late in the 2022 season. Uh, this is his third year with the program, but he is just 19 years old, right? He is uh, yeah. he's still a young guy. He reclassified, enrolled early. Uh, so in year three with Gavin Winsett, where have you seen him take steps? Where does he still need to improve? Well, he's taken steps in that he's a more confident, more mature player, um, going through his read better. Um, he's healthy this year. Uh, last year when he played, he had a bad ankle, so you didn't see the full gamut of his running. Um, that's another thing he brings to the table. Uh, so w- without that, it kind of, you know, it, it limits what he can do in that, you know, kind of a dual threat capacity. But um, you're starting to see him just kind of evolve as a player. Uh, he's still 19 years old, but, you know, was named one of the team captains. So um, he, he's really matured, and he still has issues going through reads at times and, and missing some open guys. But, um, you know, it, it's kind of growing pains. But he's he's managed the game well. He hasn't turned the ball over this year. Uh, he's picked up a lot of yards on the ground when needed, and uh, I think you'll see him run quite a bit against Michigan. But um, you could just see the steps that, you know, he's taken forward and, and not the complete product by any stretch of the imagination. But, um, you know, fans and, and around the Rutgers program are excited because you see that progress. I think the the one thing you mentioned there that jumps out to me, especially after what Wimsett put together last year, was no interceptions, right? Because I know turnovers were – were a bugaboo for him last year. And, and certainly in yeah. that Michigan game, of course, uh, that was uh, Will Johnson's first start for Michigan. Uh, and, and he had a pick and then Mike Barrett, uh, the linebacker, he he had a couple of them, including a pick six. Uh, in mm-hmm. watching the tape from last last week for Wimsett uh, against Virginia Tech, he went seven for 16 for just 46 yards. So so not fantastic. But, you know, Greg Shiano was talking about in the postgame press conference that, you know, the receivers didn't do him a whole lot of favors. Uh, there were a couple mm-hmm. drops. There were a couple routes that that were not run appropriately. Uh, there was a deep shot that looked like it could have been a, a good completion had there not been some uncalled pass interference in my unbiased eyes. And honestly, unbiased eyes. I don't care who wins a, a Rutgers right. game. Um, but when I saw the completions, and maybe this is about the Rutgers passing game as a whole, it looked like there was a lot of short and intermediate and even not even like intermediate intermediate a lot of a lot of short passing game is that accurate to say that that's what Michigan should expect out of Wimsett this weekend yeah I think they'll they'll go that route but Kirk Soraka always takes shots he'll take a deep shot here and there too but um you know last week wasn't a good showing by the receivers and three drops a few missed routes um that they ran the wrong way so um Last week, it was just kind of they were content with running. And, and you know, you know he, he had a big day running the football as well. So um, didn't really need to keep throwing the ball. Now, that's not going to be the case as, as the season continues because the kind of MO for the, for the early part of the season has been get, it, get on the board, establish an early lead, run the ball, and let your defense just, just continue to, 
to hold the opponent in check. Now, obviously, with with uh, Michigan being such an upgrade, I, I think it's going to be difficult to do that because you know th- th- that defensive line is going to be really tough for the Rutgers offensive line to contend with. So I think you're going to have to they're going to have to open it up and start throwing the ball because I'm I'm not sure that ground game is going to be you know, even close to as effective as it was the, the, the past few weeks. So um, you could see you know, a lot of those short intermediate routes, but don't be, don't be surprised if they do mix in some shots here and there. So through uh, uh, three games this year, Gavin wins it 28 carries, 144 yards, two touchdowns, uh, had a couple nice runs against Virginia tech, as you mentioned, and has only taken uh, one sack this year, which, you know, that's a product of the offensive line. It's a product of, mm-hmm. of the quarterback. Uh, sacks are very much a quarterback stat uh, and, mm-hmm. and certainly a product of of the game plan that Rutgers has built around him. Uh, but as you've touched on a, a couple times already, Bobby, the, the running game for Rutgers has been really what's been most impressive, at least from an offensive standpoint through three weeks. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and last week, particularly, Rutgers comes into this game with the reigning Big Ten Offensive Player of the Year in running back Kyle Manutengai. He's been impressive, and, and he had a run against Virginia Tech that reminded me a lot of a Blake Corum run last year in Big Ten play. I think it was against Maryland in the opener, where it's just it's a dive, you know, it's a dive on third or fourth and short, and Manangai just saw that there was no edge set and just bounced it outside and, and took it for mm-hmm. a big gain. You know, Kyle Manangai was not necessarily supposed to be the starter this year, right? I know there have been some injuries. Mm-hmm in that running back room. So how has he emerged as the starter? How has he emerged as one of the big tens brighter players through three weeks? Well, uh, Sam Brown was supposed to be, you know, penciled in as the starter, um, took over the spot mid season last year, but got hurt uh, and going over a hundred yards in his first start against Indiana. And, you know, had some issues through camp and wasn't ready to go. And Manung guys just kind of been that, that steady guy last year, um, you know, started 11 games, but, you know, it looked like everything was going to be Sam Brown. And when he wasn't able to go the first game and on guy just stepped in and, and, um, you know, they're, they're waning Brown back in, but in the meantime, <laughs> you can't really deny what Manung guys to do it. You know, he was the first, uh, you mentioned big 10 offensive player of, of the week for Rutgers since 2014, um, which was Gary Nova won it twice. One of them, which was for his performance against Michigan when uh, Rutgers pulled that win off in 2014. So it shows you what a lapse it's been offensively, but he's a very good downhill North South runner uh, gets stronger as the game goes on, just kind of a, a really tough runner runs really hard. And, um, you know, Sam Brown has a, has a little more, you know, he's a little bigger, can do a little more things, but you can't deny the production. Manangai's tied for sixth leading rusher in, in the country. So um, he's just been a workhorse and, and just really between the tackles, north-south type of runner. And you saw him bounce that play to the outside. His forte is not speed, but, you know, he's got enough jets to get going if you get in the open field. Now let's flip our attention to the defense here. Uh, Rutgers typically – plays a, a stingy sort of defense and uh, that's mm-hmm. that's what Jim Harbaugh has said and, and that's what the stats back up at least through three games and you know of course uh, Northwestern Virginia Tech are not the offensive juggernauts uh, that that you see across the country or across the Big Ten necessarily mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah formidable at least you know that they have they have scholarship players they have talent on their team and through three games uh, Rutgers defense is allowing 10 points per game uh, 270 yards per game. Both of those are are near the top of the Big Ten uh, through three games. 
Also, what stands out to me is they're they're allowing just two and a half yards per rush, uh, which is mm-hmm. quite good. I think that actually is best in the Big Ten right now. I'd have to double check that. Uh, and a you know at least one familiar name for for Michigan fans, and certainly if if you're listening to this podcast and follow twenty four seven and and care about recruiting, uh, Aaron Lewis, uh, a defensive end and edge rusher uh, for the Scarlet Knights, uh, formerly of course, uh, very briefly a Michigan Wolverine. He was part of that twenty twenty class. Uh, enrolled at Michigan, practiced with Michigan for a bit. Uh, and then I think within six months, it was of, of being in Ann Arbor, uh, decided to transfer out of the program and and move closer to home to be with his his mother who had health issues and uh, had a chance to catch up with Aaron Lewis at Big Ten Media Days this week. And he's not only you know very happy with his decision to be at Rutgers because of you know the way it let him spend time with his family. Uh, but he's also emerged as a leader on this defense and as a productive player. Uh, so, so Bobby, out, outside of him, uh, what is it that Rutgers has done so far this year that has been successful? And who are some players that Michigan should watch out for? Well, you know, you touched on it. Uh, they've really stopped the run, and that that's been able to do. You know, kind of pin their ears back and 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 come after teams or early on and like you said they're not offensive juggernauts but really stopping the run is, is limited what these teams can do uh, early on at least and and they're pretty stacked as well I mean in, in terms of uh, Greg Ciano's return they're it's the most complete defense they've had at all three levels because they, they have some depth now where they can roll guys in on the defensive line they'll even uh, rotate some linebackers in and out and, and they have good corners and, and safety so um th- th- they're pretty equal at all three levels and um you know it, it's just a product of, of Greg building this team and a lot of the guys are you know these third fourth year guys that he's had for multiple years and he's recruited so uh, defense was always his forte the first time um coming in you know that that's that's when when he had that resurrection of, of Rutgers football. It's kind of was just on the strength of the defense. They did have, you know, some good years there with Ray Rice and, and whatnot, but it was basically a defensive oriented team. And that's what this is. So they want to play good defense and run the football, control the clock. So, um, you know, they're one of the tops in the nation in time of possession, but that's going to get tested as these weeks go on. But yeah, they're just, you know, it, it, it's the most complete defense they've had, you know, probably in the last decade because, you know, the defense, you know, the team after Shiano left, it, it went downhill. So, um, you know, like I said, it's baby steps building it back. Now, when it comes to controlling the ball and controlling the clock, that's, of course, something Michigan likes to do itself. Uh, and that turns my attention to what the spread on this game was, right, which was in the high 20s when it opened and that Honestly, it surprised me a little bit given the way that that Michigan has underwhelmed a little bit uh, through through the first few games of its season. And given that we don't know a whole lot about Michigan because of the level of competition that it's played, I'm not going to sit here and ask you, Bobby, to make a, a pick on this game. But, you know, as you're watching the game on Saturday, as as you're seeing, you know, Rutgers come into the big house and, and face the number two team in the country. What are some keys to the game? What are some things you're going to be watching as the Scarlet Knights try to keep this close and potentially pull off an upset at Michigan Stadium? Well, if there's any hope of that, they're going to have to do get some takeaways and turn the ball over. If it's just going toe to toe with Michigan, you know the, the count the talent gap is just too much. And and I mentioned that you know the Rutgers offensive line, yes, they've given up one sack. Yes, they've they've uh, you know managed some good rushing yards, but 
it, it hasn't seen the level of competition or athleticism or size that it's going to see in the trenches. So I, I don't ex- I expect them to try to run the football, but I'm, I'm not expecting the same type of success it had, you know, over the last three weeks. So you're going to have to be successful in the passing game. You're going to have to get takeaways, uh, win the turnover battle, and, and get some special teams play because, um, you know, this, this is a huge upgrade in competition from what they've seen. But – you know, if if they can control the you know control the ball a little bit and and keep the time of possession relatively equal, you know it could they could stay within striking distance for a little while. But you know you're talking about one of the top teams in the country here, so um, there's a ways to go before you start talking upset. But I I think they could play with them for a while, and and you know if it's that slow paced ground game where you have the defense making some plays, forcing some Michigan field goals. I mean they're gonna have to do all these things to keep it close. Going to be very excited to be at the big house this weekend to, to see it all happen. It's been a pretty consistent theme that opposing coaches uh, ahead of facing Michigan have all pretty much said the same thing, which is that Michigan on paper, it seems, has no glaring weaknesses. But of course, every coach and every team comes in with a game plan to try to attack the cracks that they see. And and Bowling Green last week before you know their second string quarterback went down and they were on a walk on, you know, they they had a shot to the end zone that that should have been a touchdown. They moved the ball decently well, uh, had a couple of third and fourth and shorts that if they hadn't had a third string quarterback in, maybe they would have gone mm-hmm. for, maybe they would have scored. So we'll be just very interested to, to see a step up for Michigan in competition. Uh, same, same for Rutgers and excited to see uh, how Greg Shiano has continued to build that program. Bobby, Thank you so much for for joining us and giving us a little bit of insight into the Scarlet Knights. If you want to follow more content, more previews from the Rutgers side of things, uh, he is uh, over at Scarlet Nation uh, over on 24-7 Sports. You can follow him there. Bobby, thank you so much. And we'll talk to you next year. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks for having me, Alejandro. I appreciate it. We're going to hit a quick break here on Behind Enemy Lines. When we come back, I'll be talking Michigan State and Ohio State. Stick around. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. And we're back, folks, on the Michigan Insider, michigan.247sports.com, Alejandro Suniga. Uh, still going behind enemy lines, uh, turning our attention now to the Michigan State Spartans, welcoming Stephen Brooks from Spartan Tailgate, uh, part of our 24-7 Sports Network to the show uh, Steven, when we talked last week, obviously there's a lot going on with the Michigan State football program, but you were pretty much spot on in saying that nobody expected that Mel Tucker would be coaching another football game at Michigan State. At that point, he had just been suspended. 
uh, in the days since um, Michigan State has informed Mel Tucker and informed the world uh, that they intend to fire him for cause. Um, I assume, you know, when, when we talked last week, uh, you, you said there was maybe a bit of a, a, you know, a silver lining that Michigan State could have a full coaching search uh, in process for determining who Mel Tucker's successor is going to be. I assume just big picture about the situation, which is still going to have a legal process that will unfold. And I know Mel Tucker's, you know, fighting, you know, through his lawyers, uh, some of what's been reported. But um, I assume the sentiment among the Michigan State community hasn't changed too much in a week that, you know, the program, the university kind of has to move on. Right. No, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, now, uh, last time we talked, it was, we were, I think I said, you know, we were just, the. I think the Michigan State community, you know, people that follow this program and everything, like, we're just sort of emerging from, like, the initial shock and awe of it and sort of, like, into, like, a processing phase now, another week later, even with this news, I mean, yeah, everyone had last week to digest, like, the facts that Mel Tucker was going to be gone one way or another sooner or later. Um, so now everyone's kind of turned to what can we get out of this season you know, like from a fan uh, enjoyment aspect, you know, as selfish as that might seem, like, of course, you're worried about the players. Um, I think, you know, at least people should be. But I, from just from the dialogue that I have with readers and, and people that, you know, that I interact with, um, it's it's about like what are, you know, what's fair to expect the rest of the season. And then, you know, like you said, turning to the coaching, uh, coaching search uh, and, you know, everyone's picking out their favorite names right now and they're going to be watching different teams to see does – does my does my horse you know finish the season strong? Is he going to get an interview? Uh, what about this guy? Oh, he had a great October, you know, after a little bit of a shaky September. Let's see if this guy can enter the mix, you know. Um, but yeah, I do think from Michigan State's perspective, it's the more time you have, the better. You know, especially compared to last time they had to go through this. Uh, you're going to be able to vet and revet and triple vet, uh, double bag, you know, everything that you would think, at least ideally, <laughs> if this is done right, that's the way uh, you should be able to do this. And obviously, uh, you know, you hope that um, they're able to uncover any sort of personal red flags. I'm sure that's going to be top of their priority uh, as they go about this. But um, yeah, Alan Haller and whoever else he has working with him uh, will have plenty of time to get this right. Well, we'll certainly dive into that more in the, the weeks and months to come, uh, a long season ahead. You know, Big Ten season is starting uh, for most teams this weekend, and that includes the Michigan State Spartans, uh, who host Maryland at 3.30, um, following what was a rough outing uh, for the Spartans. It was, uh, thankfully, the game was on Peacock. I think you wrote that in a column that I read, Stephen. Uh, but but Michigan State hosted Washington uh, in, you know, Washington, granted, they are uh, one of the more impressive teams that I've seen this year. Uh, but that game was 41 to seven, 35, nothing at halftime. Uh, and, you know, quite honestly, one of the better and more dominant offensive showings that I've seen from a football team this year. Uh, Michael Penix was fantastic. The Huskies put up 713 yards of offense. They averaged 14 yards per drop back. Uh, if you pull up kind of the the expected points average or expected points added and like all of the advanced analytics uh, from an offensive standpoint, just Washington was thoroughly dominant. Are there any positives to take from that game? I was reading through your post-game grades and they were, they were quite negative. How, how is your outlook of what the season can look like from a football standpoint uh, changed after the Washington game? 
Yeah. Uh, whew, yeah. I mean, so 713 yards, I'll point out at the top, that's a program record. Michigan State's never allowed more yards than that in a game. Um, so that's a tough, the tough badge, you know, to put on acting head coach Harlan Barnett, who's a, who's a proud, you know, MSU alumnus, former player, uh, you know, you know, his first game to have to wear that badge as the guy who gave up more yards than anybody in program history. That That's tough. Uh, I mean, from a football standpoint, like I was telling people up there in the press box, like, you know, it sounds like a joke, but it's not. I mean, I think the only thing they did well out there was successfully win a challenge. Um, you know, there was a kickoff out of bounds, and and uh, they tried to rule it out. You know, they said the kid caught it and ruled it out, you know, walked out of the one or whatever, and they challenged it and said the ball was already out of bounds when he caught it. They won that. Other than that, I mean, no, they got – Washington scored at will, you know, which I'm pretty sure I said on here. I haven't been shy about it. I thought Washington was going to handle them. Um, that was – about as bad as I thought it could be. You know, I didn't think it would be good anyway, you slice it, but that was probably the worst-case scenario because it was just bombs away over the top repeatedly, repeatedly. And, you know, guys were either wide open, which Washington scheme tends to, you know, uh, facilitate. These guys just – it's a it's a very impressive system that they run because these guys, when they're open, they're the only one on your TV screen, you know, as, as folks probably saw. They get wide open. And – when they weren't, you know, when they were at, when Michigan State's guys were actually right there in phase and in good coverage with them, they just made great catches. You know, they got a couple pros for sure, maybe more than two uh, playing receivers. So, yeah, in terms of football stuff, no, they could not run the ball. Uh, obviously, the first Power Five opponent, and there were signs. You know, there were some minor red flags um, from Central and Richmond that they just didn't really dominate on the ground or even anything close to that. And it was it was bad uh, against Washington. There was no run game to speak of. The offensive line looked bad, and the offensive line, which again has been sort of, has been a weak area for this program for quite a bit now. Uh, but the one thing they did do in weeks one and two was protect Noah Kim very very well. Again, lower level teams, but they didn't do that. You know, Noah Kim was under duress. He got hit more than he ever has. He he started, you know, and it, and it clearly affected him. Um, he got hit once early on and just, he became very skittish in the pocket, which we haven't seen. He's had very clean pockets up until that point. And, uh, you know, he was like the term seeing ghosts, you know, he was, he was evading pressure that really wasn't there. He was freaking out and sort of, you know, scooting out of the pocket and panicking before he had to, even against, you know, three and four man rushes. So no, there was not a lot to like there. Uh, now you go into big 10 play and, you know, Technically, it's a new it's a new day. It's a new opportunity. I mean, technically, I guess they could run through the East somehow. You know, there's no football evidence or reasons for me to believe that. But that's sort of what they're preaching right now inside to to keep everybody locked in. But, uh, you know, as I wrote in that column, like if, you know, it's a it's going to be a dangerous sort of tightrope, I think, for this team and this program, because with every loss, you know, the pressure and just the reality of the situation is going to amp up. Because with every loss, the likelihood that Harlan Barnett or any of these coaches are here next year drops uh with every loss you know what are you gonna have to say every player i think that that at least you know is in the playing group is gonna have to look in the mirror and say what am i what am i getting out of this what am i doing and what do I, where do i want to go in terms of just next season whether it's staying here with a new staff transferring somewhere else trying to go to the nfl whatever um so i do think there's a possibility that one you know this is game four so as we've played every week if they play in this game they might have some decisions to make now we've asked harlan barnett multiple times most recently on Saturday after Washington, he said nobody has communicated any desire to him yet to sit out and shut it down and, and preserve that year. But, um, you know, I, I have to believe that things go south. You know, I, I think Maryland's a winnable game. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily call a Michigan State win right now, but it's, it's a toss-up coin flip sort of win. It's a, it is a winnable game for them. Um, going out to Iowa the next week is going to be tough, and, you know, it only gets harder from there with, with the other big boys in the East. But 
I do think there's some potential for it to really go off the rails this year, if especially if it does not go well against Maryland, because then it's only going to get harder. It's only going to get worse. And if you're talking about, you know, double digit guys that that, sh- that were to shut it down and sit out, that you would assume those would be some of their best players, right? Because they would be saving themselves for either a portal move or the NFL or whatever. Uh, things could get pretty bad, I think, pretty quickly. So it's really this this Maryland game is really really important, I think, for them to keep everything uh, on the rails for now. But that's going to be week to week. Well, Stephen, I'll, I'll let you go quickly because uh, you talked to us so long last week. Number one and number two, I know your week has been just absolutely jam packed. Uh, that's Stephen Brooks uh, from Spartan Tailgate. You can follow him on Twitter or X at Stephen M underscore Brooks Spartans have Maryland coming up at 3.30 p.m. at home. Uh, that'll be followed at Iowa uh, for a night game, their bye week, then at Rutgers, and then, of course, the Michigan game in East Lansing. Steven, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. All right. See you then. And we'll close our show as we always do with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Joining the show is Patrick Murphy, who covers Ohio State for Bucknuts of 24-7 Sports. Uh, Patrick, Ohio State came back to form against Western Kentucky last weekend. They won 63-10 to to move to 3-0 on the season. Looking at the box score is looking at a very complete Ohio State offensive performance. Kyle McCord in his first game, not as the starter, but as the starter, right? Uh, trademark, patent pending. Uh, <laughs> went 19 for 23, 318 yards, three touchdowns. Travion Henderson uh, carried the ball 13 times, 88 yards and two touchdowns. And then receiving, of course, Marvin Harrison Jr. leading the way, 126 yards and a touchdown on five receptions. Uh, and em- Emeka Ibuka found the, the end zone twice uh, with two receiving touchdowns as well. Uh, but then looking at the game on paper, looking at the advanced stats is where this really kind of jumped out to me is that expected points added per play, Ohio State 99th percentile, success rate 96th percentile, yards per play 98th percentile, explosive play rate 17%, 99th percentile. It seems like reports of Ohio State's offensive demise were greatly exaggerated. Patrick, what did you see in the horseshoe on Saturday? I think you've recapped it pretty effectively there. The caveat I would add is that Western Kentucky's defense is not very good. Uh, And we knew that coming in. I think if you're a Buckeye fan and you were aware of that fact, you wanted to see a performance like this to not be as concerned going into the Notre Dame game. And look, I mean, in even in Ohio state losses in recent years, the losses, the back-to-back losses to Michigan, um, the, the loss to Georgia, those, you know, even Oregon, the offense hasn't been the issue, right? It, they've been able to put up points, put up yards uh, in most of those games. So you wanted to at least see that continue, even with the changes on offense with Kyle McCord taking over and the offensive line, all the things we've talked about. And they finally did seem to click. Um, it would have been certainly concerning if they got to this, got through this game and it was another 35 to seven type of game um, against what was clearly an overmatched opponent just because that would be the offense not taking that next step against a team that it certainly should so that was kind of the way I viewed it this was this was what I think a lot of people expected to happen probably last week and this week uh the last two weeks I guess I should say I was a bit more reserved with my score prediction for this game so of course this is the game that uh the offense finds its rhythm but 
if you're a Buckeye fan, certainly positive signs going forward with with Kyle McCord and, and the way this offense looks. Yeah, the, the Buckeyes scored five touchdowns in a quarter in that game against Western Kentucky, which is that's just that's vintage Ohio State, right? That that's kind of what you expect from an offense that has been one of the top offenses, one of the top units in college football um these past few seasons. Uh let's turn our attention to Notre Dame because this has been the game that's been circled on everyone's uh calendar, uh, particularly if you are in Columbus or in South Bend. Uh Patrick, just gotta gotta start with this question. What's it like to play a real non-conference game? <laughs> That's funny. We talked about that a couple weeks ago when you came on my show. Uh, look, it's going to be exciting. I, you know, they've Ohio State's been pretty good about doing these. Obviously, the Notre Dame game was here last season in Columbus. Uh, they were scheduled to play Oregon the the twenty twenty and twenty twenty one season. They only got the twenty twenty one season out of it, and and they have a handful of these going forward um, with Texas and, and Alabama and Georgia down the line. So look, it's I think it's important to the sport, and and this is not to say anything negative about the way Michigan is scheduled. Each program <laughs> can do it their own way, and I, I don't want it to sound that way. But I think just from a a fan perspective, you need some of these games early in the season, right? And you know we've we've heard about attendances dropping at programs around the country, and, and you know the TV product is so good. We need to give reason for people to go out to these games, and I think this is important for the fan perspective, and then from a media perspective. Um, a, it's fun to cover these big games, especially when you do home and away. I've never been to South Bend. I've never been to Notre Dame Stadium, so I'm excited for that. And then, um, you know, obviously it's it's about a four-hour drive from Columbus, so fans can make the trip. I'm sure they will. And it's it's just exciting. You know, we saw it a couple weeks ago with Alabama and Texas, right? That was a huge game. I mean, even Colorado, Colorado State this weekend became a, a must-watch event that kept me up till 2.30 in the morning, so... <laughs> Um, you need games that people are interested in, not just, you know, tuning on in the fourth quarter when it's interesting on your TV, but I think for the sport to continue the way it's been, games that people want to go to and what will pay money to attend. And, you know, watching Ohio State win by 53 against Western Kentucky is probably fun, but that becomes old after a while. And you need some more of these games um, on the schedule. Not every week, uh, I, I don't think, though, with these super conferences, maybe that's what we're going to see but uh, certainly sprinkled in. I think that's that's all very valid from both you know gauging the temperature of the Michigan fan base and then just myself as as doing this for for my job. Uh, a little bit jealous uh, of Ohio State that they're playing Notre Dame. Uh, a because that Notre Dame Michigan has historically been such a fun and entertaining rivalry for for those two programs, but also because after. Uh, six straight non-conference games over the last two years that have really been uh, games without a pulse. Um, just be nice to feel something, you know? <laughs> but in terms of the game itself, uh, my perspective and gathering from what you've said, Patrick, is that expectations uh, for the Notre Dame game have probably risen uh, for Ohio State fans, given the way that the offense clicked against Western Kentucky. That being said, there are questions coming into the season for Ohio state that I think are going to be answered, or at least we'll have a first look at answers. Uh, one of those being is, is what's the defense going to look like in, in year two under Jim Knowles, Notre Dame is a team that when you look at the 24 seven talent composite, you know, they're, they're ranked 11th, you know, Ohio state, I believe is third. They're certainly in the top five. Uh, but this is the first team that Ohio state's facing this year that can go toe to toe with them talent wise. 
Uh, they've certainly looked good offensively. Notre Dame has uh, same sort of things as we've talked about throughout this show throughout the year is that Ohio state's offensive line had not looked fantastic, looked a lot better against Western Kentucky, but again, what's that going to look like against a better pass rush? And then Kyle McCord is getting his, you know, first true road start. I mean, Indiana is Indiana, but Notre Dame is, you know, it's, it's a slightly smaller version of the big house. It's going to be a raucous atmosphere. Certainly we'll have a, a good amount of Ohio state fans, which always travel well, but it's going to be the first big road test in prime time under the lights. Patrick, what are you wanting to see? What, what are the sort of things you're going to learn about this program, uh, about the Ohio state Buckeyes after Saturday night? I think when we have this conversation next week, um, I'll be able to give you a much better sense win or lose of, of kind of what this Ohio state team is. And, and that's what these games help to do. I'm not going to say it paints a complete picture because you have to play the whole season and obviously things change, but uh, you know, I think we'll know, okay, is this offense more what we saw the first two weeks or have they really made progress um, and can do some of the things they did against Western Kentucky that we already talked about. And is this defense because even early last season, people were talking about, okay, Jim Knowles has something going. Then obviously that narrative changed towards the end of the year. I think this will be a good test with, with Notre Dame bringing in Sam Hartman and, and with the way that offense has looked and the running games has, has played well. Um, so you'll, we'll get a much better sense of what this team is. I think it was important for Ohio State. We talked about the offensive side, but defensively, Western Kentucky was going to throw the ball around. They were a high-flying passing air raid offense. It was important for Ohio State's secondary to kind of hold their own. Um, and they were able to do that for the most part, 204 passing yards allowed to a team that was averaging, I think, upwards of 400 or around there. Um, so just from a confidence perspective, because Sam Hartman, a better quarterback than Western Kentucky's Austin Reed, they have more weapons, more in the run game. But I think you feel good if you're Ohio State players, Ohio State fans that, OK, we were able to do this against a pretty good offense. Now the the next step is kind of what they were saying is is doing it against a Notre Dame team. So. That's the big thing for me is I think we'll just have a better sense of what this Ohio State team is. I think there's a possibility that Ohio State goes in there to Notre Dame Stadium and, and loses the game, but you come out of it saying, okay, there were positives here that that you can build on, especially because this isn't a conference loss and, and things are still in front of them. Obviously, Buckeye fans want to win. Uh, the Buckeyes want to win on the road there. But, you know, if this is a close loss and Ohio State was able to do positive things, we may still be talking positively when we do this next week. So it should be a, a barometer for what the rest of this season may look like for Ohio state. Yeah. I think the, the way Notre Dame has played this, the early part of the season has certainly set itself well narrative wise for Ohio state, right? Because even in a close loss, it's a, it's a close loss to a team that has looked like a top five team uh, throughout the three or four games it's played. I know they played week zero, Patrick, uh, thank you so much. I know you have a, a very busy week ahead and and safe travels uh, to South Bend. Uh, Patrick Murphy, once again, he covers the Buckeyes for Bucknuts. You can follow his work over at 24-7 Sports, or you can follow him on Twitter slash X at underscore Pat underscore Murphy. Patrick, thank you so much. Enjoy a real game. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good. Thanks. And that will do it for this week's edition of Behind Enemy Lines. For everyone at 24-7 Sports and the Michigan Insider, thank you so much for listening. There's a lot of content over on our site. Uh, Check out the Michigan Insider for in-depth previews, for recruiting news, for analysis of the Michigan football team 
through three weeks and heading into the Big Ten season. It's going to be exciting to be at the Big House this weekend. Going to be a flyover, homecoming, and a Big Ten opponent that's going to put up a fight. Hope to see you there. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 